Good morning. So as uh, Tom shared last week, if you were here, the, this opportunity for the sabbatical came up uh, really kind of quick. It was something we had, been, we had thought about as elders, and I had thought about myself, but uh, meeting with Philip, it sort of just kind of came up and it needed to be done now. So over the past few weeks, I've been thinking about this uh, next three months, this sabbatical. And you know, I'm, a, I'm excited about it and I'm a, a little bit nervous about it. I'm excited for what God will do during this time in my life, in the life of the church. I'm excited to spend extended time in Bible study and prayer, focusing not on how to teach what I'm learning, but focusing on what God is teaching me in His Word. But I'm also a little nervous about uh, not working, not preparing a weekly message, not leading the staff, not shepherding the body. As people, we often identify ourselves by what we do, don't we? What we accomplish, our, our jobs. Uh, people say, uh, what, do you, what do you do? Who, you, who are you? I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a police officer. I'm a fireman. I'm a businessman. I'm a pastor. But God doesn't identify us but by what we do outwardly. Yes, God gives us many things to do. His Word is filled with commands that we're called to obey. We've seen those in our series so far on the church. We're commanded to study His Word. We're commanded to, to remember Christ, to put Christ at the center of all we do. We're commanded to pray, to fellowship, to witness to make disciples and to serve. That's what we talked about last week when Anthony shared. And God's commands are to be obeyed for His glory and for our good. But outward obedience to His commands does not define our relationship with Him. Our relationship with God is defined by our heart and our head attitude toward Him. What we believe about Him and how we feel about Him. First, what we believe about God. Specifically, whether we believe, the, the focus is whether we believe in His Son, in Jesus Christ. The relationship we have in, with God is based on what we believe about Jesus Christ. In the beginning of his Gospel, the Apostle John makes this really clear. Speaking of Christ, he writes, But to all who did receive Him, Christ, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of of God. If we believe in his, his name, the name of Jesus Christ, if, if we put our trust in, in who Christ is, if we put our trust in what Christ has done for us, if we believe that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be, God come in human flesh, and that He died for us on the cross, if we believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, died to pay the penalty for our sins, then God, by His grace, justifies us. We're declared righteous. We're saved. And God makes us His children. He identifies us as His family. We're adopted by God. We enter into a loving relationship with Him. So who we are in relationship to God is based on what we believe about Christ. But it's so important for us to understand that when the Bible talks about belief, it's just not a head. It's just not an intellectual belief. 
that God is concerned about. It's, it's not a matter of checking off a list of facts that you believe in. It's a matter of whether your head beliefs have impacted your heart. We must have a heart belief in God. And I believe the Bible teaches that our heart belief produces or is defined by uh, what we call this word love. In 1 Corinthians 8.3, Paul writes to the church, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Our relationship with God, whether, whether we're known by God uh, or, 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 not, or not, is based on not our outward actions, things we accomplish, but on whether we truly love Him or not. God looks at our heart, and for those who have a heart of love for Him, then by the finished work of Christ, He adopts us as His children. He, he knows us as His own. We enter into a loving relationship with God. And out of that loving relationship, then flows obedience to our loving Heavenly Father. That's where obedience, that's where service fits into God's plan and God's picture. Obedience it's not a, not a way of earning God's favor and gaining salvation. It's not a way, the way we gain God's love. Obedience is a response to our trust in Him and our love for Him. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, if you were with us. How at the heart of all we do in obedience to God must be a love for God. And that growing in our love for God is crucial in the Christian life. But what I want us to see today is that our love, uh, this, this concept, this idea, this emotion of love doesn't stop with God. Yes, our love must begin with God. Our love for God must be our highest priority. But out of our loving relationship with God flows our love for people. We love because He first loved us. And so today, in this final message about the church, this uh, 10th message in the series on the church, and in the, the, this final message before my sabbatical, I want to encourage us to be a church that's known for loving God and for loving people. I find it so profound, ah, really I do, that God created us not only to be in loving relationship with Him, but He also created us to be in loving relationship with one another. Every time I perform a, a wedding ceremony, I'm struck by God's words in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. These words come before the fall, when Adam uh, was sinless, when Adam was in perfect loving relationship with God. And yet God, speaking to the angels or to the Trinity, not quite sure, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not good that man be alone. But wait a minute. He wasn't, he wasn't alone. He was in a perfect loving relationship. A, a no, not encumbered by sin. There wasn't anything blocking. There wasn't anything broken in the fellowship between man and God. But the thing is, God created man. He created men and women to not only be in relationship with Him, but to be in relationship with one another. Certainly, this applies to marriage as God then creates Eve and, and joins them together. But this also speaks to the importance of having loving human relationships. 
God created us to be in relationship with one another. And for our good, God oftentimes he, 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 does, he knows what's best for us, and then He commands us to do it. For our good, God commands that our relationships with one another be defined by love. The same feeling, the same emotion that we're to have for God. We're also to have for, for people. So, so first, God commands us to have a love for all people. A love for all people. We saw two weeks ago when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He began by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. But it's crucial to see that he doesn't stop there. He continues by quoting, this isn't Deuteronomy, he then jumps to Leviticus chapter 19, and he puts them together, and he says, And your neighbor as yourself. You're not only to love God with all your being, okay, this is the top, this is the highest, this is the greatest commandment, but you're also to love your neighbor, get this, as yourself. Now, some may deny, some may even deny it, but most of us, I think, would admit, if we, if we were honest with ourselves, that we love ourselves a great deal, Right? We can see this in the amount of time and money and effort we spend taking care of ourselves. We feed ourselves, we clothe ourselves, we seek to make ourselves comfortable and secure. We want what's best for we. We want what's best for us. I think it's pretty clear that we love ourselves, and and the Bible nowhere says that that is wrong. It's, It's just a given. You love yourself. And Jesus says we're to love our neighbor in a similar manner. Now, if you continue reading the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches us who our neighbor is and what it means to love them through a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of us are familiar with this. For the Samaritan, his neighbor uh, in the parable was a man he didn't even know, wasn't acquainted with, a man who he came across while, while traveling along this road. This could have been any man. I believe this man represents all men, all women, all people. This man, this neighbor, had been beaten up and left for dead by robbers. He, like us, uh, experienced, uh, experienced at one time or another in our life, was experiencing a great need. And after a, a priest and a Levite had passed this man by, in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says, speaking, and Jesus is speaking to Jews, and this man is most definitely this, this guy in the, in the gutter was probably a Jew. And Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Specifically, Jews don't like Samaritans. And so when a Samaritan, if he saw a Jew in the gutter, would have been expected to keep walking for sure. But Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him... This man in the, in the ditch, he's, he had compassion. He had compassion. Notice the Samaritan has a heart reaction to the man's need. His service to him, which we'll read shortly, comes, not from, uh, comes from a heart of love and compassion. He went to him and, and bound up his wombs, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
The good Samaritan, he felt compassion for his neighbor. And that compassion resulted in loving him as he would have loved himself. Caring for his needs as he would have cared for his own needs. We love our neighbor, and I believe this applies to all people. I mean, specifically applies to people we come into contact with. We love them as we feel compassion for them. As we seek to meet their needs. Yes, their physical needs. When those arise, their emotional needs. But ultimately, our love for our neighbor, I think this is key to the, our, our life as Christians, our, our love for our neighbor has to drive us to address their spiritual needs. The most loving thing you can do for your neighbor is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Share John 3.16, the summary of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Tell them of the God who, who loves them and that, and that love caused Him to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for them, to pay the penalty for their sins, and to purchase for them eternal life in His presence. If we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, we'll share the gospel with them. Even non-Christians understand this. In one of the episodes of the TV sitcom Seinfeld, how many, how many, how many are familiar with maybe a little bit? Certainly not written by Christians, right? The main female character, uh, a woman named Elaine, borrows her boyfriend's car. And when she turns on the radio, she discovers that all his stations are preset to Christian stations, to Christian radio. She has no idea what's going on here. So she confronts him about this and finds out that not only is he a Christian, but he believes she, Elaine, is going to hell and he's pretty indifferent about it. And even though Elaine doesn't believe in God and she doesn't believe in hell, she says these profound words to her Christian boyfriend, if you love me, you'd try and save me. Yes, love your neighbor by, by helping meet their physical and emotional needs, but never stop there. God's love for all people caused him to send his son into the world to die in their place, to save those who would turn and trust in him. And our love for all people, specifically the people in our lives, should cause us to share what God has done for them. That they too might, might have the opportunity to be saved. So first, we as individuals and as a church are to love people like we love ourselves. Seeking to meet their needs, their physical, emotional, and especially their spiritual needs. Just as we would want our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs met. Now last week we talked about the fact that God loves all people, right? For God so loved the world. But we also saw that, that God has a different, a, a deeper, if you will, love for those who believe in Him. For those who in turn love Him. We read the scripture, uh, to those who love me, I, I, will, I will know them. I will adopt them into my family. They will become children of God. I will enter into a loving relationship with them. God may have a general love for the world, but He only enters into a loving relationship with those who trust in Him, who trust in Christ. And you know, the same thing is true for us. 
Yes, we are to love our neighbors, all people, as ourselves, but the Bible teaches that there's a deeper love reserved for for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As children of God, together we share in a a special love for one another. Now remember, uh, again, referred to this a number of times, Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, and he replied, Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And in Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. These commands were given by God to the children of Israel, to the nation Israel. Love was a foundational principle of how Israel was to relate to God and to relate to other people. And that love for people, for your neighbor, was to be like the love you have for yourself. And that's a pretty high standard, I would say. That's pretty big. That's, that's a difficult thing to do. But when we get to the New Testament, Jesus takes it up a notch. Sorry, I can't jump anymore. <laughs> Grandparents can't jump. That's a thing I'm learning. In John 13, 34, Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Underline that, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Yes, there was already a commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty, pretty, maybe it's up here. Maybe it's however tall you are. That's how you to love them. But now Jesus says to his disciples, to those who trust in him, those who are part of the, the family of God, Jesus calls them, he calls us to this new love for one another. A love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that's modeled by his love for us. It, it's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. It goes above and beyond. It's a heartfelt, it's a genuine love. We as the body of Christ are to be characterized not only for our love for our neighbors, but especially for our love for one another. Jesus goes on in verse 35 to say, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are people to know that we are disciples, that we're followers of of Christ? By seeing the deep Christ-like love we, the body of Christ, the church, has for one another. This was an evangelism strategy in Thailand, when we were missionaries there, the group we were working with, how, how do we, these, these, these Thai people who know nothing about the Bible, they know little to nothing about the God of the Bible, how do we get them interested? How do we get them excited about this thing we know? Well, well here's what we do. We take them places where Christians are interacting, and they go, I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen that kind of love before, that kind of selfless love, that kind of sacrificial love. And that's how many people came into the church in Thailand, just seeing the depth of love that Christians had for one another. Peter understood the depth of this love. And in 1 Peter 1.22, he writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for in sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We must have this, this brotherly, this family love for one another. And it must be a, a, an earnest, a, a genuine love that only comes from a heart that is pure. A love just like the love Christ had for you. A love that resulted in, in, in Christ giving His life for you. 
Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus taught. So let me ask you this. Are you obeying the new commandment that Jesus gave in John chapter 13? Do you love your brothers, your sisters in Christ, just like Jesus loved you? Because that's the commandment he gives. I mean, I could try to water it down, but it's pretty straightforward. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved, just as I have loved, just as I have, I'm stuttering, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. How well are you doing at that? This is similar to the question I asked last week, isn't it? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? And, and we could even throw in the question, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Maybe that's the lowest of the three. I don't know. You know, everything you have to God, uh, like Christ to your brothers and sisters, and, and how you love yourself to the rest of the world. And remember, love is a, is a heart word. It's an, it's an emotional word. The question is, do you love like God commands you to love in His Word? Do you love God with all your being? Do you feel great love for God? Do you love your neighbor? Uh, let's say all people as yourself. Do you feel love for your neighbor? Compassion for your neighbor? Do you uh, go out of your way to help those who are in need? And do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ like Christ loves you? Certainly we wouldn't say that Christ uh, loves us. The, the love that took Him to the cross is a detached or some kind of emotional, uh, emotional less unemotional love. So our love for one another, like our love for God, must be emotional and genuine love. So is this how we love God? Is this how we love our neighbors? Is this how we love one another? With this genuine, heartfelt, really all-consuming almost love. Now, I'm guessing that I'm not alone in saying I find it difficult to answer uh, this question with a definite yes. Of course I do. And so the question becomes, what do we do with clear commandments of to extreme, I would say, love, radical love, that we find difficult to fully obey? Well, let me begin by pointing out two things. So I'm going to point out two things, and then I'm going to give us three things to encourage us in that. So Two things, these aren't excuses, but these are just uh, the reality of who we are and how we exist. So first, when you become a Christian, you do not automatically become perfect. I know some of you think you do. Huh, that's funny. We spend, a lot of time, we spend a lot of time on this in the book of Romans, if you were with us. Yes, when you by faith trust in Jesus Christ, God by His grace declares you to be righteous, to be right before God. Your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven, and you're saved from the wrath of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You're saved to eternal life in His presence by His grace. But you are not made righteous. You're declared righteous, not made righteous. Go back and listen to the sermon, some, some of the sermons on Romans if that's confusing, or talk to me. You and I in this life will continue to struggle with our 
sinfulness, our sin nature, if you will. And a big part of that struggle will be our struggle to love God and to love people as God's Word commands. Those are, in fact, those are the bar. You know, if you think you're making it, if you think you're, you've arrived in your Christian life, uh, spend some time just thinking about how much you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how much you love others uh, like Christ or even like yourself. So first, know that your obedience to God's commands to love is part of the struggle to obey God in all areas of your life. As we saw in Romans, it's part of this battle that we engaged in to overcome the flesh. And there's going to be victories and there's going to be defeats. And that's just the reality, the nature of our existence in the flesh right now. But we have to be careful not to use this as an excuse for our lack of love. Our inability to obey the commands of God does not mean we're exempt from guilt or that we don't have to seek ways to improve, to grow in our obedience to God. And that brings me to the second thing I want to point out. Even though when we come to Christ, we're not automatically made sin-free, we're not uh, made perfect, we do, however, enter into a process of growing to be more sinless. You need to reflect on who you are and where God has brought you. The question might be, do you love God more today than you did a year ago? Two years ago, three years. Are you growing in your love? We call this process sanctification, becoming more like Christ, becoming more righteous, becoming what God has already declared you to be. He's declared you to be righteous, and now you enter into this process of becoming who God has declared you to be. It involves growth and, and, and maturity, it involves allowing God to work in your life. It involves transformation, not by yourself, but by Jesus Christ. It's a process. And I believe at the heart of this process is, is, is growing in love for God and for people. I believe that's just at the heart. That, it's kind of the summary of the Christian life, is it? isn't it? The development of the Christian is the development of a person who loves God and loves people. Yes, it's true that on our own, we will never come close to loving like God commands. But we're not alone in this process. Never forget, God joins with us. His Spirit enters into our lives. God gives us the greatest gift possible in this life. He says, uh, you come to me, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that will indwell you. And in Galatians 5, 23, the Apostle Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God indwelling in you is, and he begins with love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. God, through the power of His Spirit, working in us, working to transform us into the people who can obey this command, who can grow in their obedience to His commands. We have no hope of being loving people without God's work in our lives. In fact, as we've already read, 1 John 4, 19, we love because He first loved us. All the love you have 
is because God loves you and because God enters into you and God transforms you. The only way we can even begin to love is because God first loved us. Our ability to love, my ability, your ability to love God and to love the people around you, uh, the people in the world, comes from God himself. God must transform us. But that doesn't mean, this is important, this is key, uh, it doesn't mean that God waves a magic wand and says, okay, you're now loving people. I mean, we know that. He doesn't cast a love spell on us. He instead awakens in us, I believe he awakens in us, this desire to be loving people. If you're a Christian, then God's Spirit dwells in you. And since God is love, the Apostle John teaches, God's Spirit produces in His children this desire to love. The fact that you know you're not loving as as you should be, as loving as you should be, is because Christ is pointing that out to you. The Spirit is, is calling you to something else. He awakens you. And then, as we submit to Him, He transforms us. He awakens and then He transforms. But part of the transformation process, what He does is as we submit to Him. He's given us uh, things to do. He's given us relationship with Him. And as we submit in that relationship, He then transforms us. And we grow in our relationship with Him. We grow in our love for Him and our love for others. So let me conclude this part of the message. We'll then go to communion, which I think will tie in as well. But let me conclude by giving uh, briefly three practical ways we can submit to God's work in our lives, ways we can enter into this process of becoming the loving people that God wants us to be, ways we can be growing in love, growing in love for God and growing in love for other people. Now again, I want to remind us that love, the love I'm talking about, is an internal heart emotional love. And it results in acts of love. But I'm not talking about the acts of love. I'm talking about the internal heart love that God gives you. And as such, it's cultivated internally. So these three practical steps are internal steps. Things we do uh, in our relationship with God. These are our means uh, used by God to bring about an actual internal transformation in your life that will result in, in genuine uh, transformation of your heart, grow your love. I mean, I, 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 I'm not, this isn't, I'm just going to give you this little picture uh, of the Grinch, you know, his heart started growing, you know. God can do that for us. It, not physically, but spiritually. So first, and I mentioned this last week about uh, our love for God, but I want to emphasize it here. We must pray for a loving heart. So God has sparked in you a desire to be a, a loving person, and we have to pray for a loving heart. This is what Paul, this was Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. Philippians 1.9, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. We need to pray that God will work in our lives and the lives of others, that we will grow in our love for Him and for one another. 
We need to confess that we can't love without God's work in our life. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot in yourself love anyone the way God is asking you to love. I mean, the world has its definitions of love, and you might be able to meet those, but do you remember God's? As yourself, as Christ, with all your being. You can't do that. I can't do that on my own. We need God. We need to uh, acknowledge our complete dependence on God that we might love like God has called us to. You need to go to Him in earnest and, and humble prayer. Not once, but regularly. You need to daily call upon the Lord to do whatever He will do to make you more and more into the kind of loving person He's commanded you to be. You need to ask others to pray for you in this area. You know, we are so, I mean, we're a church that has cards in front of our pews and sends out prayer requests all the time. I mean, you know, my mailbox gets a little filled with prayer requests. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to pray on my sabbatical for you people or not. But it just gets filled with uh, prayer requests of all kinds, right? But you know what? It's, they're pretty limited, if you, if you ask me. They're very limited prayer requests. They're often limited to physical needs, maybe some emotional needs. But we, we don't often uh, put out prayer requests for our spiritual needs. How, how would it feel? Uh, Pastor Cliff requests prayer that he would love God more. You know? We, we just don't do that. I don't know why. Maybe it's our pride. But we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another that we would love God, that we would love one another. I, I would ask even now, would someone stand and just pray? Pray that our love for God and for people may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Just, just anyone. Just stand and pray for us as a church. Amen. So first, pray for a loving heart. And second, see people from God's perspective. See people from God's perspective. This is, this is a practical step to help us love uh, people. See all people as you walk in this world as created in the image of God. See all people as those who God, as the world, as, as those who God sent His Son to die for. That God has love for them and allow your love for them grow. And, and see your brothers and sisters in Christ from God's perspective. And no matter how imperfect like you and me they are, remember they're children of God, your Father. Remember that Christ shed His blood for them. They're forgiven for all the things that they do that make you angry. They're justified by faith alone. If God has declared them righteous in Christ, you consider them righteous in Christ. Yes, they do bad things. Yes, they do immature things, annoying things sometimes, but don't dishonor Christ who by His sacrifice covers all that. See them as God sees them and then let your love for them grow. Would someone else? I mean, I'm, if Gary wants to again, that's fine. I was just... Okay, well let me tell you what, what I'm going to ask for you to pray. Pray that God would uh, open our eyes to see one another from His perspective. Thank you, Jim.
Help us to see people from God's perspective. And finally, and and maybe most importantly, ponder God's love for you. Doing this has been in my life, I think, the single most effective thing to help me grow in love for God and for people. So I'd encourage you to ponder, to, to think about, to remember who you were and who you would be without the love of God in your life. Remember that you, you were once totally alienated from God. You were cut off. No hope. And you were undeserving of His love. But God, for reasons only known to Him, chose to love you, a sinner, in spite of yourself. Think about that. And allow the truth of His love for you to enlarge your love for Him and for others. Remember and meditate on the love God bestows upon you and allow, him, uh, allow yourself to be humbled by that undeserved love. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, based on what Christ did for us, Paul writes this application. Do nothing from rivalry, rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Counting others more significant than yourself. Okay, give that a try. It's another way of saying uh, loving like Christ loved. Christ counted us more significant than himself when he went to the cross and died for us. And, And humility is key to counting others better than ourselves. And humility comes as we remember who we would be without the love of God in our lives. Never forget the undeserved, underline undeserved in your, in your mind, undeserved love that God has shown upon you. And allow God's love for you to awaken love for Him and for others. Would you join me in prayer as the worship team and the ushers come forward? So we enter into a time of communion, and in a real sense, uh, as we enter into a time of pondering God's love for us, would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and I thank you for, for all you've done for us. Lord, no one here, myself included, deserves your love in any way. Lord, we rebelled against you. We were enemies. And while we were enemies, you sent your son to die for us. You loved us in, in a way I can't understand, I can't explain. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to remember that as we enter into this time of communion, as we see it uh, symbolized for us, the, what you gave for us. Lord, help it, it to be burnt into our hearts, your great love for us. And, and out of that love that you've given us, Lord, allow us, flowing from that, to, to love you, to grow in love with you, to grow in love with the people in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.